The sermon that you're about to hear is from Pastor Paul Borman at Hope Lutheran Church, located in Tigard, Oregon. For more information and for more content, go to hopeintigard.com. Happy Advent, Hope Lutheran Church. Happy Advent. Wow, we have made it through one whole church year here at Hope, and today we begin a brand new one. In a church year, we begin with Advent. We, we begin by getting ourselves ready for Jesus, and we look at his life, and we look at his teaching, and we look at the church, and today we begin that year. And I'll tell you what, I, I think that what we're going to learn this year together is that the gospel will not run out. It never has, and it never will. And as we head into this new church here, I want to give you something, something to think about. Here at Hope, I think the reason that people come to Hope and I, and, and I think also the reason that people stay here at Hope is because of this, that, that here at Hope we believe and we, we act on this, that the gospel, the good news about Jesus has to be the main thing that we are about. You know, that it's my, it's my job, it's our job to preach about law and about sin, but predominantly what our job and what my job is to do is to preach the good news, preach the gospel. And we don't do that just because we feel good about that, that it gives good vibes to give good news. We do that actually because we're commanded to do it. You know, I as pastor am commanded to preach the gospel, to comfort God's people. And that command comes from the verse that we're about to look at today. So we can think about that as we head into this new church here and as we head into reading this text from Isaiah. Isaiah is commanded, preach comfort, comfort to my people. And a little bit of context, just a few sentences of it. These are people that Isaiah is preaching to who are in exile. Their lives have been blown apart. They are wrecked. And Isaiah is supposed to go and preach comfort, comfort to them. This is what um, he is to say. From Isaiah 40, verses 1 through 11. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed and that her sin has been paid for that she has received from the Lord's hand is double for all her sins. A voice of one calling. In the wilderness prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley will be raised up and every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All people are like grass. And all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall. But the word of our God endures forever. You who bring good news to Zion, 
Go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, Here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. This is God's word. You know, it took George Friedrich Handel just 24 days to write his classical masterpiece, The Messiah. The the Messiah is an orchestral work. That means it's got all kinds of musical instruments in it. It's it's about a three-hour production that goes from the birth of Jesus, the prophecies about Jesus, to his birth, to his death, to his resurrection. And George Friedrich Handel produced all 259 pages of that musical score in 24 days. That means that he produced about a quarter of a million musical notes without error in that time. This is pastor math, just to see how amazing it is. Um, This means that if he is working 10 hours a day, feverishly producing musical score for 10 hours a day, it means that he needs to keep up a pace of 15 musical notes every 60 seconds. He's he's an inspired writer, right? (laughs) He's inspired by something, and he's inspired by Isaiah chapter 40. <clears throat> and specifically, he's inspired by the, by the verses that we just read, Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 through 11. If you go and you, and you listen to the first 10 minutes or so of, of Handel's Messiah, and, and I encourage you to do that, you, you'll see that he structures this work around these verses. He quotes all of these verses, all of these words, except for one little phrase. Just one little phrase. And honestly, I probably wouldn't have noticed that this phrase was missing except for the fact that that in the New Testament, the same phrase is missed. You know what phrase it is? It's Isaiah's question. Isaiah asked God a question. He says this, he says, And I said... What shall I cry? Honestly, it doesn't surprise me a whole lot that that quotation gets left out. It doesn't surprise me a whole lot because honestly, I have my questions about this question too. Why in the world is is Isaiah asking God what he should be crying? He has just been told what he should be crying. In fact, he has just been arguably doubly told, right? The first words of this section is, is God telling Isaiah to comfort, not just comfort, but to comfort, comfort my people. It's it's double. He, He has been doubly told what he's supposed to cry. And he's not only been given the what of what he's supposed to say, he's also been given the how. 
God has told Isaiah to tell the people how the Lord has forgiven all their sins. And in fact, he told her, he said, tell the church, tell her, Isaiah, tell her that her sins are covered. Tell her that, that her hard work is over, Isaiah. Tell her that she has received from the Lord's hand double, double Isaiah for all of her sin. That's what he's supposed to say. He's supposed to comfort, comfort God's people. He's supposed to tell the church that, that, that their hard work, that their sins have been covered. He's been told how, he's been told what, and still Isaiah comes back and says, what am I supposed to say? You know, we can get really hard on Isaiah here and, and say that he's not only been told what to cry and he's not only been told how to cry, he's also told in what tone you should say it. God says, speak tenderly to my people. <laughs> speak tenderly to them, Isaiah, so that they know how much I love them. Isaiah knows what he's supposed to do. He knows that he's supposed to be the hallmark card writer of the ancient Near East to bring comfort to God's people so that they know that their God is with them. Isaiah knows how, he knows what, he knows in what tone, but he still has this deep, profound question, what shall I cry? And you know, this isn't a case of Isaiah being like a, a fifth grader who comes back to the teacher after class and says, Teacher, I, I wasn't paying close attention. Could you tell me again what I'm supposed to say? That's not the case. What Isaiah is asking God is he's saying, What am I supposed to say that's actually going to be true, God? You know, God, I'm capable of saying comforting things, but what am I supposed to say that's actually going to be true in the long run? What, am I, what truth am I supposed to, to bring to people that's supposed to be comforting, that's not just going to be a bunch of hot air? What am I going to be able to bring to people that's not going to just be a, a thing where if they believe it hard enough that they'll actually be comforted? What, what am I supposed to bring to people that, that is true? What's going to stand the test of time for your people, God? What shall I cry? That's Isaiah's question. What shall I cry? What kind of comfort can I bring that'll actually be true? And then... Right after this question, you get this, this, this hauntingly beautiful poetry. It's an answer. Now you get this poetry that says, <clears throat> All people are like grass. Like grass. And all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. You know, it's this horribly, hauntingly beautiful poetry that we can plug ourselves right into. You know, we know that life is beautiful. You know, we know that people are vibrant and filled with life, but only for a moment. We know that that's only true for a couple years and then just like grass, people wither and people fall. And we know exactly why. It's because of sin. 
It's because the breath of the Lord is judgment on people for their sin. Surely people are like grass. And all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. This is what Isaiah is talking about. He's saying, God, I'm seeing this reality in the world. I'm seeing that people are like grass. I'm seeing that people fall. What am I supposed to say to them? In a world like this, with people like this, what am I supposed to say that's going to stand the test of time for your people that can be real, true comfort to them? What shall I cry? You know, I don't think we have questions about that question. I think we know that question very well. I think we ask that question often. In fact, I'll even suggest, I think that this is the question that we are asking with our lives. What shall I cry? What am I supposed to say? What can I say that I know is actually going to be true about my life? Except what's amazing here is that Isaiah actually speaks the question out. He, he says it out loud to God. He doesn't do what we normally do and just push it down and move on. We know that life is great. We, we know the vitality and the beauty and the hope and the excitement of life. We, we know what hope is like, that our future will be good. You know what, how we depict hope? Normally, you Google the word hope and what you'll find is pictures of flowers growing up out of desert ground. That's what we feel that hope is because we feel this. We feel that life is just hanging on, growing out of a desert ground. You know, we have sayings for this. We have all kinds of sayings for this. We, we, we tell ourselves to stop and smell the roses before they smell bad. We, we tell ourselves that you only live once, so you better enjoy it now, because you never know what it's going to end. We try to live. We try to just stop and, and, and feel the sun on our face and and feel the wind in our hair and enjoy every single moment with our loved ones, but every single moment like that, it fades. So what can we cry? That's the question. What can I cry? To a people in a world like that where everything ends, what can I cry? No, God, God answered his question. And he answered it in an amazing and powerful and perhaps unexpected way. He didn't come to Isaiah and, and say, Buck up, Isaiah, you got this. Just, just tough on through the hard stuff. And, and once you persevere through the hard stuff, then it is all going to get better and you're going to have learned all your lessons. Isaiah, that's how it'll work. comes to Isaiah, his struggling prophet, and he speaks words of truth that are comforting. He says, Isaiah, cry this out. All people are like grass. And all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field, and I'll tell you why. It's because of sin. 
But, Isaiah, it's not going to be forever. You know what is forever? The word of our God stands forever. There is nothing. There is nothing that can come to God's word and make it fall. There is nothing that can happen that can come to God's word and make its promises about you false. There is nothing that, that will make the, that God's word eventually will become less true for you. God's word remains forever. It lasts forever. It stands forever for you. I want to encourage you to wrap your mind around what God is saying. How comforting this is. That even while the world falls apart, even as rust corrodes, even as nature decays, even, even as our minds fail, even as the, everything falls apart, the word of your God will endure. The promises that he makes about you and your life will still be true. Your God endures forever. And his word, which endures forever, promises that you will live forever. Wrap your mind around that. <laughs> that God and his promises, they will never change. No, God wanted that good news. He wanted that good news preached everywhere. And, and so as you continue on in these verses, you hear God telling Isaiah to get himself up on a high mountain somewhere. And he's not supposed to speak these words. He's supposed to shout them out. And here are the exact words that he's supposed to shout out. It's a four-word sermon. Ready for it? Here is your God. Now, there is a lot that I could say about that four-word sermon. I, I could preach four sermons on each one of those words. But for now, I'll just leave it at, at, at this. I think that the most powerful, most important word in this sermon is the word here. Here is your God. He's not over there not caring. He's here. He's with you. Here is your God so that even though we wither like grass and fall like flowers, we will rise to live forever. Here is your God who is not only near you, he became fully human like you so that he could be born in a manger, so that he could live perfectly like, the, like you couldn't do, so that he could die innocently, so that he could rise to guarantee eternal life for us to, forever. Here is your God. And Isaiah tells the people of Israel who are in exile, here is your God. Israel, you're going to see him. You're going to see him with your eyes, Israel. Put your trust in this, hope in this. You know, Israel, when he comes, he's going to come and his biceps are going to be filled with power, Israel. And when he comes, this is what God told me to tell you, that, that when he comes, he's going to come with a ridiculous reward. Now, I wonder if Isaiah knew exactly what he was prophesying. 
I wonder if he knew what kind of power the coming one would have. I wonder if he knew what reward exactly he was prophesying about. I wonder if he knew that he was prophesying about Emmanuel, God, with us. But here's what I don't wonder about. I don't wonder about whether it was Jesus who made these things fulfilled. Jesus is the God who came to make good on God's promises to you. Jesus is the one who came to make God's word true so that it would endure forever. This, that just like God's word, you will not be just like grass anymore, but you will live forever. I don't wonder about that. I know that Jesus has come and that he will come again. I think Handel knew that too. George Friedrich Handel as he wrote his Messiah. And and thinking creatively, I, I don't know this to be true, but I wonder if it's true. I wonder if that's the reason why he didn't quote that little phrase. Isaiah's question. Because it wasn't a question anymore. He knew exactly what to cry out. And he did cry it out. He cried it out in musical form that is still cried out every year around this time. And it's the same for us. The only thing that's left for us is not the great question of our hearts, but the great cry of our lives. And what is that cry? It's life. True life. Life that is so big that it makes all of the aches and pains of right now seem so insignificant. Life that is promised to be so joyful that it is able to fill in the holes in our hearts even now. Life that is so long that it is able to help reshape the purposes of our incredibly short lives here on earth. To reflect something that Isaiah asked us to do. To get up on our high mountain and cry out to this dying world, here is your God. So that you can know that your God is here. You know, that's why God put me up here. I'm up here in front of you this morning, up on my high mountain, and I'm crying out to you so that you can trust that your God is here. That you can trust that your shepherd has you in his arms close to his heart so that you can know that he knows your life's circumstances and is working in your life to bring you to everlasting life. And that's life without dread and that's life without decay. True, perfect, eternal, heavenly life. That's what we have in Christ Jesus. That's what God's word promises is true for you.
And you know that God's word endures forever. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, you have a heart that we cannot comprehend. When our hearts have questions, they ache and they wonder if there's anything that we can hold on to. You've given us your word. You've given us your promises. And we know that they endure forever. Help us see in Jesus the God who is here, the God who is mighty to save us from our sins, and the God who cares enough to do it. We ask you, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen.